0: Welcome to the sooner Catholic podcast with your hosts Alex Sanchez and I'm Trevor Bereca. Stay tuned for the episode. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to see you in this week's episode. And listen to this beat drop.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the sooner Catholic podcast. This week we have a special treat. Like you all know, the the mission and the hope of this podcast is to reach specifically OU students and St. Thomas More students at that. So today we have a special guest with us, and it's none other than our fearless and faithful pastor, Father Jim Goins. Trevor, how how are you feeling about today's interview?
0: I'm pretty excited. We have a good list of actually uh, more academic questions. Questions we have uh, some insightful questions for Father Jim, and then we have some curveballs just to to see how he reacts under pressure. So we're gonna give him some good questions today, but we're super excited, uh, Father Jim. Do you want to introduce yourself and just say hello?
2: Thank you for having me. I, I am Father Jim Goins. I'm here because they promised me bagels. <laughs> the bagels have not yet arrived, but I am here and very excited about being here and talking to you guys about the mission of our parish and also uh, about the priesthood. Thanks. Fantastic.
1: Father, what is something just off the bat that most students might not know about you? that you actually want students to know about you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. I I don't know how many students know that I am a convert. I was Mm -hmm. not raised as a Catholic. I began attending Catholic Mass when I was in college, Mm -hmm. which is one major reason why I have a great heart for this ministry. So my time in college was the period in my life when I realized I was being called to something new, A new experience of Jesus Christ. I was already Christian, I was already baptized, but I was being called to the sacramental life. I don't know if most students know that, but that's something I would want them to know. That's awesome.
1: awesome. Um, So how long have you been a priest, and how many assignments at, at different parishes have
2: you had? I was ordained in June of 1992, so I think that Gets me to, what, 29 years this coming June, perhaps? I've lost count. It's been so long now. Uh, I've had varied assignments, great assignments. I've been in small country parishes and in large urban parishes. This assignment here at Thomas More is my longest and my most fruitful, I would have to say. So I've been here over... 10 years now, I'm going on my 11th year as pastor here, so think of that. A, a huge chunk of my priesthood has been spent right here. In total, I think I've had about seven assignments.
0: Wow, that's, oh, that's crazy. That That's way more than I would have anticipated, seven assignments, uh, especially, in you said 29 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeez, and with the this is your eleventh at, at St. Thomas More, correct?
2: Eleventh year,
0: yeah. So this being the, the majority, I was curious when you said that. Is this one of the large urban ones or the small country one? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I count this as a large urban parish. So this is, uh, you know, certainly in the metro, and certainly a very important parish within the archdiocese and okay. structure. So. Hey, for me, this this assignment is the best it's ever been. Hey,
0: so good, That's... so cool.
1: And and on that note, I, I met you when I was a, a you know a, a young, confident freshman with with braces and an afro. <laughs> a lot has changed in, in, the, an in afro? the. Well, no, not exactly. But but I, I've met you, and a lot of things have changed in my life. I'm I'm now married and with kids and things like that. But with with your life and, and with the, the history of St. Thomas More, what has changed in the past decade that the, the freshmen or even the seniors uh, of today would, would not know unless you told them? What has changed here at St. Thomas More?
2: Well, to begin, if I could take you back in time and show you Thomas More in June of 2010, it was a much smaller parish and much smaller ministry. We had Basically, one building out of which we operated. We had a collection of houses that we owned but were in terrible shape. And we had a sixplex apartment building that we tried to use for ministry as well. So when I arrived, my feeling was that everything had to change. I had something of an epiphany when I walked onto the property. I looked at it, and it may seem odd to to hear this, but I truly did have a spiritual experience where I had this interior flash where I realized what had to change wow. and had this dream of removing the, the shacks that were on our property and building something there. So in my mind... Uh, It was a charming little parish. It's not like it was a bad parish. It was fine, but it was sleepy, and and the Mm -hmm. campus ministry was reaching only, only a handful of students. Now, great students, mind you, but I realized we needed to reach more students. The music, I realized, needed to change, and just that we needed to grow. We needed to fulfill our potential. That's what I felt honestly felt from day one. Yeah. Alex, I'd be
0: curious too. I know that you're not the guest on this podcast. You're the host, but, uh, <laughs> but I'd be curious to hear, um, your experience in the early days of, of St. Thomas more as well, and, and how well they collaborate with what father's sharing, um, in regards to like what you remember from that time.
1: Yeah. I, I remember these things that father Jim's describing quite well. And, and I actually forgot about some of them. Like I, I actually used to live in that sixplex apartments, uh, my junior, senior year, and yeah, we used to have some some different kind of small ministry events in in some of those shacks. Like we had some some focus gatherings and things like that, um, Sunday suppers, and and yeah, it was just small. It I think it 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 was way smaller than like OU student ministry should be. Yeah, it was just small because even in those small houses or shacks, we, we didn't even fill it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, what's, what's going on here? Um, the I think the, not, not the one good, but a good that came out of it was because it was so small. It really let me come to know Father Jim a lot better. And we began to become friends and, and spend time golfing and things like that. And, and, built a really good friendship that, that I still treasure and, and that has still been fruitful in my life. Um, I do think that the changes that have happened here though, are just incredible. Not, not only from, from the new church, but everything that's come from it and including all of the new space. And it's like, I think it's like a is it like the movie like Field of Dreams that's like if you build it they it will, will come. come and it's like I I think that's like every you know parish's like dream for fundraising if you build it they will come but I think the truth is that it's not always the case that's not always the case and I think what happened here is that there was a need that that w- that came before uh, the the new church and new space being built and so the the new space was a was an answer to that and I think a lot of that was the changes in leadership that that happened here and, and what father was able to do during this time, which I think is, is just amazing. Um, so with that, with, I, I know I was able to see some, some glimpse of just the incredible work and energy and effort of the fundraising campaign and the months and months of meetings and strategy meetings and conversations and asks and all these things that a lot of people again, had not had the opportunity to see, but during like a, say a difficult time in, in, you know, the, the history of St. Thomas More, priesthood, whatever it might be. What were some, like, sources of inspiration that you drew, some some kind of motto or some kind of, you know, something that you kind of went back to that, like, helped you persevere during that time?
2: I think my motto in life is forward, always forward. Mm-hmm. I, I say that to myself on difficult days. If I have a difficult day in ministry or personally, mm-hmm. I remind myself that it's forward. We must always go forward. There were difficult days during the fundraising, difficult seasons during the fundraising. I would often go late at night to the Holy Family Shrine and pray to St. Joseph. I I asked him early on in the process to be my patron during that, because I realized that without some spiritual guide and grounding that I wouldn't be able to fulfill my role in the process, which was that of leader and, you know, the one to give inspiration. And Joseph being the builder, mm-hmm. the the laborer, I, sure. I grew very close to him in the process. And there were times when, to be honest with you, the campaign had stalled out. And I remember the most... Famous in my mind Episode I went one night Late at night And just Poured my heart out To St. Joseph And the next week A $500,000 gift Came in And restarted The whole process So he He was You know He was my great Patron And remains A a great patron For me Wow
1: Oh my gosh That's That's
2: That is a crazy story Jeez um,
0: the power of intercession right there for sure. Uh, a, a question I was thinking of um, as we were as I was listening to you, Father is like, yeah, as you're going about this process over the last 11 years, like you really like allowing your vision of the parish and where it's going um, to be uh, manifested? What were some of the like, I guess ways that you came about to like seeing that these things needed to change? Who were like people that you looked to or people that you maybe like sought like advice or wisdom from? as you, like, started to, like, kind of envision the changes that you were hoping to make in the parish? I think the question basically is, like, yeah, how, how did other people or, like, prayer and all these things influence
2: into the vision that you set for, for St. Thomas More? Well, to begin with, the core of our staff believed in the vision as well. And if you can't convince your staff of your vision, then you're dead in the water. Mm-hmm. I think the changes that Nolan Riley made to our music program were so instrumental in in helping to change the culture of the parish, the expectations of the parish, and frankly, to widen the horizons of the parish. So he was of great help to me. Harold Hypel, rest his soul, who is now now gone, was consistently uh, the guy that had my back, the parish leadership guy who was always behind me, always supportive of the vision. Preston Trimble was another person, rest his soul as well, very generous to the parish. Mike and Robin Tower, I asked them very early on if they would chair the fundraising committee, and they did, and they did an amazing job. Um, And also Corian Autumn McMahon, also... Uh, helped with that. So I, I was able to surround myself with a team of people who believed that we could do it. Mm-hmm. And together, we were able to convince the larger parish that, yes, this this can be done. I remember when I pitched the idea for the Marion Ceiling, which we did not have any money to do, and Sharon Parker stepped up and said I, w- I want to help you do this I want to make this happen mm. and she did wow. so any number of people throughout the parish without their help it would never have happened that's
1: really cool one of one of my favorite stories with the fundraising campaign was the very first meeting the very first thing that, that kicked it off could you share that that's one of my favorites
2: well I think the very first meeting was over in the as I recall was in the Sixplex apartment building and we had a didn't we have like a slideshow of what the church would look like? Mm-hmm. And it was almost mm-hmm. shock as, you know, as people heard that it was going to cost $5.6 million, $1 million of that being mm-hmm. an organ, and just the look on people's faces as if that was all the money okay. in the world. And for it to eventually end up as an eight million dollar project and no organ as of yet. <laughs> I mean, to think deep how deep far deep. we came, <laughs> so it was a great risk and and there was, I think, an initial an initial shock. But again, it was just you know, it yeah. only takes a handful of dreamers. To get behind you, so to true. slowly but surely and, convince everyone else. And you—you and were, you were the first dreamer. And I, I remember you telling
1: me about the there was a couple that came in and said, "We, we want to make a gift to the parish." And you—you you, kind of put like different propositions. Oh in, my God! Yeah, share that one.
2: Now this is a great story. It was a, a couple in the parish, and they invited me to have dinner with them. And I—we went out to the service station. And we were having a very nice dinner, and they're like, we want to give a gift to the parish, but how would you use it? So I had all these sort of middling range projects I was pitching to them, and they just sort of looked at me blankly. And I finally said, well, wait a minute, let me ask you this. What size gift are we talking about? And they said a half million dollars, and I almost fell off the bench. No one in my entire priesthood had ever... Given a half million dollars. And so I remember I stopped and I said, okay, all these ideas we're talking about, no, no, let's take them all (laughs) off the table. If you give us that, we are going to build a new church. I love that. That was a great moment. Great moment.
1: I love it. What I think is so cool about that too is like like Trevor's talking about, like there's this, again, like this source of inspiration, this dream, like this spiritual kind of realization or moment you had that 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 kind of pivot in that conversation like that kind of prompting of the holy spirit whatever it was is is the fruit of what came before it again you know it's like these you're like oh there's something pre-existing in my heart and my mind that when when i when this moment came i was able to pivot and and to leverage it so i think it's i think it's beautiful um so obviously trevor you you and i each week we kind of give our advice to to the college student to the 20 to the 21 year old something um but but father jim looking back on, on your time in college, and what is something that you would tell the 21-year-old the version of yourself?
2: What would I tell the 21-year-old version of myself? I would have, I would tell myself, become a Catholic sooner, <laughs> because I, I waited quite a while. I mean, I began attending Catholic Mass, many people assumed I was Catholic. But I struggled with the identity. I struggled with what that would mean for my own personal longings to be a minister, to be a preacher of the gospel. And I waited probably, what, five, six years before I ever officially joined. If I could go back, I would tell myself, no, join now. You need the grace of the sacrament now. That's actually that's actually
1: uh, I think that's kind of just like a, a quality that you have I like both both the the kind of the immediacy of like no now like we need we we need this now let's move now. Um, and then, and then also like the the motto that you said of like forward, always forward. I think if you ask someone what's a motto that you live by, and they and they say something that you've never heard them say, it's probably not a good motto. <laughs> but but I, I've heard you say forward, forward in staff meetings often of you know growling the staff like let's let's move forward, let's move forward. So I I think the the kind of immediacy of action and moving forward is just and then the sense of dream that you have for for the parish, for your priesthood, it's just remarkable. Yeah. Trevor, what what thoughts are come to mind for you?
0: Yeah, I, I was hoping to hear, uh, I was thinking maybe we could, Alex, transition a little bit and some of the questions, particularly about your priesthood, Father, and um, I think one of the questions on here that Alex and I prepared that I really like is, yeah, what are, what are some interior battles that you fight that are unique to the priesthood, right? Because I think, obviously... Uh, I think I talked about this to you last week, but I think often there's a, a, a misunderstanding, or not even misunderstanding, but lack of understanding or lack of knowledge that a lot of lay people have into the interior life or to the, the dispositions and things that the priests endure. And so I think yeah, this question, what are the interior battles that you fight that are unique to the priesthood is really like a, a one that people would be interested in to, to know.
2: I think one of the spiritual issues I revisit again and again is the promise of obedience. Mm. And in fact, I'm going to be preaching about obedience this weekend. Priests take a vow of obedience. We also, you know, promise to remain chaste, celibate all of our lives. Uh, In my mind, uh, in my experience, that vow of obedience has been more difficult for me. Mm. I tend to be a highly independent person. I often feel that I have better ideas than maybe Mm -hmm. those in the hierarchy. (laughs) You know, there's a certain uh, rebelliousness that is within me and against which I struggle. So that would be one of the issues that I return to again and again. And I think for parish priests, one of the great constant struggles is to Carve out the time for prayer and reflection, and not to feel guilty about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I take time downtime in the afternoon to rest, to reflect, to yeah. read, to pray, that I, I have to remind myself, you know, I'm I'm not bound by office hours. Mm-hmm. It's not a nine to five job, and it's a much different life. And the struggle to remain current in your prayer and to take time out for solitude and adoration and contemplation is always a great struggle. Many priests report that. I certainly have experienced that myself. Now, I will say this on a positive note. One of the great things about priesthood is that the Mass never gets old or rote. Mm -hmm. In my experience, it has never become just some chore that i have to do there's always that great moment when you are confecting and you realize that the lord king of the universe has come to your altar in the form of bread and wine it's a it's a humbling moment and it's a a beautiful moment so that is that's a good thing sometimes my life my priesthood can be in disarray. I can be in disobedience. You know, I call it, I'm in rebellion against my life. Uh, but if I can get myself to an altar and do mass, then there's this tremendous grace that wow. comes to me.
1: Yeah. I, re- I remember on a personal, going off that, you saying cutting off time for leisure and prayer and contemplation in the afternoons. I remember there's one day, I think it was like this past summer I had a lot of anxiety I was like I'm trying to figure out my, my prayer schedule when I was going to do it I remember just feeling like anxious about about this and I, and I asked you I was like is it okay if I take 30 minutes during the work day to pray and you were like absolutely like you were like it's 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 common even in some places that people would just get on Facebook for 30 minutes a day so, exactly. so pray and I remember that brought me so much peace and, and it's something I'll continue to do so so and, and it's kind of an extension of your own personal life so I love that um, with, with this I think it's so good, and I wonder what, what you would say to this, but, so, there's kind of a difference between, like, the, the forms of responsibility that, that a person takes on in terms of, it can be kind of separated into roles and then changes in identity, right? So, like, a student, for instance, has a role as a student and as a son or daughter, or whatever it might be, that comes with responsibility. Then there's kind of the, the a role like a doctor, right, or a lawyer, that there's a there's a change in identity in, in the person and how they relate to society and to other people, but and, and so father and, and so Trevor and I are both, you know, or Trevor's about to be a, a father of a child, both missionaries, and there's a big change in identity that happens there. If you become someone who's an example for college students, and as a father you become like that image of, of God the Father to your children. But what's it what is it like reconciling the, the human side of, of Jim Goins, the the, the the man who loves to golf, you know, with <laughs> <laughs> and who's a great golfer by the way. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. with with the, the change in identity as a priest with with ordination and, and the sacramental grace and power that, that is invested in you what, what is it like to reconcile both sides of, of that person and that change in identity
2: this is the reason why priests need to go to confession on a regular basis and need to go to their brother priests on a regular basis and and talk about this the, the fact that We are men of God, and we are set apart, and we are given this tremendous gift of priesthood. And at the same time, there are days when we do not deserve it, many days when we do not deserve it. I have always found that very humbling. And my goal, I don't know that I've reached it yet, but my goal is integration, that the person I am is the person I am, no matter where I am, whether I'm in the office or on the altar or on the golf course, that the man I am is the man I am, that I don't believe that priests especially should compartmentalize their lives. I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. So my goal is to totally integrate that, but of course, frail, sinful, in need of redemption, there, I've had bad days and bad encounters with people where they've, you know, found me to be short or um, grumpy or whatever. And of course, I always regret that. And it's a that's a difficulty. People should always remember that the priests they encounter are also sinners, just as they are. They are sinners in need of redemption. They too have to go to confession. Uh, they also have to be redeemed and. Mm-hmm. You know, to be forgiving of that, uh, I I sometimes wonder if the priests who got into so much scandalous trouble are the priests who have forgotten that we are not entitled to uh, secret lives or right. secret identities, and even if the whole picture of you is less than flattering better to be honest and to be transparent than to be secretive and have one pious identity that people see and then Mm -hmm. another one that people don't see to me that's the great danger in priesthood yeah
0: and i think that speaks to what you are talking about of this Mm -hmm. this uh the importance of integration right because like the integrated man or woman is the one who can, like, go forth and, like, live in such a way that their identity is, is unchanged by each, like, encounter that, that, you know, presents itself to them. And I think that's what you're saying is, like, there's this beauty um, that I think priestness especially gets to image in their life whenever they live integrated because they give witness to the, the transforming power of both the sacraments and, like, God's work in them. Um yeah, I think an, another question. And this is you kind of started with this when you were talking about um, the beauty of the mass and like that moment of um, recollection of God's presence in each mass and how powerful that is for you. But what are some of the most rewarding moments that you find as a priest? Like moments that you know just lift your spirits after maybe the the, the drag of like normal life events and all these things going on. What are those moments that are almost transcendent and bringing you back to the goodness of the
2: priesthood? I love that question. Uh, There's a moment at a wedding when the doors open and the bride steps into the doorway. The first moment that the crowd sees the bride. I've been privileged to see that so many times in my life. And every time I see it, it takes me somewhere higher than my ordinary life. Mm. That is a grace filled moment. It's a sight I adore. That's one of the great pleasures of my priesthood is to witness that. Mm. One of my favorite moments. So awesome. The other one is when you do a baptism and huh. Huh. when the, the mother or the father hold the child as you pour the water over the child and baptize uh, the child. I had a baptism once and the father held the, his firstborn son and as I poured the water... I noticed that the father was in tears, these tears coming down his his face, and I found that just such a beautiful transcendent mm-hmm. moment. So I would say weddings, baptisms, are two of my very, very favorite things to do as a priest.
0: That's
1: awesome. Yeah, that's good. No, that's, that's super good. I think we're, we're kind of getting close here to, to wrapping up time. If there's a final questions you have trevor or final thoughts you have father uh but it's just been i don't know it's just been really refreshing to, to get to obviously spend every day with you but to get to sit down and just ask in, intentional questions and and also just i yeah i think it was such a gift as a student to have a personal relationship with you and I, I know that's something that that you encourage you want students to come and talk to you and but maybe students feel like you're too busy or whatever it is and so it's just it's just good to to have like a more personal encounter where students get to hear you speak directly to them and um, as you do every Wednesday night, but but just just to get to hear things about your life and, and the way that you view things and the way that you live. So,
0: Trevor, uh, is there any last thoughts that you have? Last questions? I did have a couple. Uh, <laughs> one one funny and then one like vision kind of. So I'm gonna throw the funny in first. Uh, I wanted to know, Father, if you could see any two saints box each other in a boxing ring, who who would it be? Who would you want
2: to see? Oh yeah, <laughs> no, I love <laughs> that, that sure. question. Uh, St. Paul was a fan of boxing. He was a fan of of sports. That's right. So I'd throw St. Paul in there because he followed boxing, followed sports. And then I think it would have to be someone like maybe, um, let's see, let's put him up against someone, St. Francis. I think that that would just be hysterical. That would be really that would funny. be hysterical. Anyway, I don't know if you're going to keep that. <laughs> but you that's what I, I, th- I
1: thought you're going to say Saint Paul and one of the Christians he persecuted. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: goodness! <laughs> this is, dude, this is so funny. Tribute justice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, and then with the, with the closing, like I think just vision, kind of vision question for for everyone, especially the students, is right. So you've been here. For the past um, 11 years, and you've really seen this parish transform in the life of the parish, and especially the life of the, the student ministry, where do you see St. Thomas More going 10 years from now? Like, if you're looking, you know, kind of like a, almost like in the middle of this phase, of you can look back and see how it's changed and where it's going. What do you see as being those things that, that you most hope to see in the future of this parish?
2: What I would hope to see in the next decade would be uh, more— people on the ground to do campus ministry. For example, if we had an associate campus minister to help with that, and then to have more focused missionaries, uh, that would be part of what I, where I hope and pray that we, we go to in the future. Also, I think, I mean, the building we're in right now, we're in the old part of the facility doing this interview, this all needs to come down eventually, and we need to build a, a new state-of-the-art student center. So we have a great church now, we have a beautiful church, but there will be a need for a more intentional, intentionally designed student center, mm-hmm. and even maybe with some housing, at least a discernment house, where okay. young men and women who are discerning religious life or priesthood might be able to uh come and live in community a community of prayer and service those are some of my dreams i don't know if i'll be the guy that will will do that but i will be the guy who prays for that yeah absolutely
1: beautiful father jim we have really appreciated this time thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast thank you yeah it's been so good um, ne- maybe next time we'll just have to come and just hear stories. Just I know you have so <laughs> many stories, so many great and wonderful yeah. stories. <laughs> uh, but it's just been a privilege to sit down with you, and, and uh, thank you to the listener for, for tuning in again this week. We hope you have a wonderful rest of the Advent, and we will see you soon.